If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and Esther 4, Acts chapter 1, Esther chapter 4. If you find Psalms, go back about two books and you'll be in Esther. You know, over the last several weeks, um, we've been talking about the fight, you know, how we can fight for ourselves, fight for our family, fight for our marriage, fight for our community. Today we're wrapping up on fighting for our world, and um, next week isn't going to be any more fun because next week we're going to jump into the things we wish Jesus never would have said because those things kind of kick us in the throat sometimes. So I'm just giving you a warning about what's coming for the next several weeks. But, you know, this morning as we continue our fight and we're fighting for the world, um, let me read some things to you. You know, in just as I was getting ready, I, I cheat, and I always listen to the worship set before we get here on Sunday mornings, and I'll go to YouTube and listen to all the songs and stuff, and I just think our God's an amazing guy, because when you look at the songs and how they lined up this morning with this morning's message, it was just all God. You know, I, Donnie knows my topics, you know, ahead of time, but just, you know, how God just weaves things together is just incredible, but you know, this morning we're talking about fighting for our world, and, and I want to just read you some numbers, and you know, because I found these real interesting, and I went back six years because that, that was the easy numbers to get, and um, this is just mission involvement, things that I would tell you that are mission involvement from things at the church, and I know I've missed things, but these are, are big things. Um, our cupcake ministry. Over the last six years, I estimate we've had 432 volunteers baking cupcakes. And you think, well, how is cupcakes a mission ministry? Because every time I walked into school for those years, and every time Mike Fielding walks in that school, we're walking into a huge mission field. And if it takes one cupcake with icing and sprinkles on it for a kid to experience Christ, that's a mission and that's an investment. Am I right? And so that's just that one area. VBS, the best we can figure over the last six years, there's probably 360 to 400 volunteers over the last um, six years. For and I'm making an advertisement for you, Leah. This is the biggest evangelistic outreach that we do within our church walls right now. And so in the back, there's a sign-up. So I expect it to be a line after church signing up and then Leah scrambling, trying to find places to put all those kids because my prayer this year is we break last year's record and have another record-breaking year because these kids need to hear about Jesus. <clears throat> And VBS, you don't even have to like people to help with VBS. I'm just, I know some of y'all sitting there thinking, I don't like people. You don't have to like people. Just come hang out. We'll put you somewhere where you don't have to deal with people. Right, Leah? We got you. So don't use that as an excuse. Um, the last um, year and a half or two years, we've done block parties and participated in the Easter Outreach in Walker. And this year we're going to be in Watson. But I just estimate about 150 to 200 people. Um, has helped in those endeavors. What I would tell you local, um, disaster relief, different things like that, the best we can figure, about a little over 800 has participated. Within the state, getting outside our local area, within the state, disaster relief and other things, 171 people. Around the United States, getting out of Louisiana, I estimate about 290 people. International over the last six years, at least 74 people. And I just threw obedience to death in because I feel like this is Live Oaks ministry. It's probably about 400 in the last six years because every time I leave, I bring somebody with me. And so when you look at all that, that means at least 2,688 people, minimal number, 
has participated in missions at Live Oak Baptist Church. And when you look at it at the size of Live Oak Baptist Church, to me that's mind-boggling. When you look at that, how many people? But yet in my mind I'm thinking there's that much more to do. But when you look at almost 2,700 people minimal that has participated in missions through our church, what does that go back to? That goes back to having a pastor for the last 24 years that preached it from here relentlessly. And hopefully you have a pastor now that's going to be just as relentless on preaching it for the next, I don't know if I'm going to go 24 years, I'm being honest. That would have put me 74 years old. I don't have as much stamina as he's got. But you hear it and you hear it and you hear it because it's straight out this word that I'm about to read to you about how we should live and how we should do it. And so, but then the other areas, you've heard it in here, you hear it in Sunday schools, you hear it in small groups, you hear it in grow groups, because those groups matter. Small groups matter. This morning, we was almost at the 180 mark again, and that's just because that's God. That's God. Because I can tell you, in May of last year, when me and Frank come back from that conference, there was people who looked at us out the side of their eye when they said we wanted to be at 200 by June of this year. Some people got honest. We're this close. We'd have been there this morning, this close, because small groups matter, because within those small groups, you start learning the word, and you start learning, you start getting discipled, and all of a sudden, whenever you get the phone call or the text message says, hey, we've got a group leaving to go to Florida to clean up trees, all of a sudden, it's not a have to, it's I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to bake cupcakes, I want to be part of these things, and there's lots of areas that I didn't even touch on and that I missed that are just the, the things that we do also that individuals do. But that's how big our God is. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how are we going to fight? How are we going to fight for our world? What's our key verse, man? Y'all say it with me. Exodus 14, 14. What's the Lord say? The Lord says, I will fight for you. You need only be still. Now say it with me again with confidence this time. The Lord said, I will fight for you. You need only be still. And so we're going to continue that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. And I'm just warning you, normally when I start studying, I have lots of notes. And this time, and I tried to get down to four pages. I started with over 20 pages, and I got down to five pages, and I just added another half a page up here a few minutes ago. So Brother Hank's probably going to take my table away from me during worship, so I can't write, you know. And so, because this morning is exciting for me. Because the word's so clear. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 7. It says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Father, and I just ask, Father, that it not be my words, but your words. And Father, I just ask that you just open our hearts, Father, so that we can hear directly from you, Father, how we can fight for our world. Father, right now, right now in this stillness, Father, let us learn what it means to be still and let you fight. Father, we love you. In son's name I pray. Amen. All right, get your pen out and go down in there, and I want you to underline where it says, you will be my witnesses. Underline that. You will be my, I want y'all's Bibles marked up. Because that's important. Because right there, what's he telling us? He's, he's not saying, 
I command you. He's not saying, I suggest to you. He's not saying, if you feel like it, he says, you will be my witness. Crystal clear, black and white, straight from God. You will be my witness. You know, because everybody's a leader. You're going to lead two ways. You're either going to lead to God or away from God. And so he's telling you, when my spirit comes on you, you're going to lead people to me. You will be my witness in everything that you do. And so you, when you start looking at that, you know, why did he name the places that he named like he did? You know, Jerusalem, when you think about when he's talking to his disciples, when he's talking to that group of followers, he talks about Jerusalem. That's the very place that Jesus was executed by an angry mob. He was sending them back into a battle zone. He said, you're going back to the very place that took my life, and you're going to be my witness. And he goes on into to Judea. Judea, what happened there? They rejected his ministry completely. We don't want you on our streets. Leave. He's sending the followers back there. When you look at Samaria, Samaria was regarded as just a wasteland of, of, of impure half-breeds. People didn't even want to talk to the people of Samaria. And he's saying, go, go. You will be my witnesses there. And then he don't stop. He says, then go to the ends of the earth. Go, go, go. Tell people about me. Go and tell them about me because you will be my witness. And so when we start looking at this and we start wondering, you know, why, what does God have for us? Turn back to Esther. Esther chapter 4. This morning we're going to read about one person that made a difference to a whole nation. Esther chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to skip around a little bit. Esther chapter 4 verse 1. It said, when Mordecai learned of all that had, done, all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed in it. And I'm going to stop right there because why this is important, why I want you to hear this this morning, is what had happened up to there. The king had this assistant that was just wicked. And this king's assistant went to the king and made him, and he says, look, you need to just issue a decree to wipe out all the Jews. Just, there's not a good one. Wipe them all out. Men, women, kids, wipe them out. And so Mordecai heard this. And so Mordecai went to the gates, and that's where he's at right now where we just read, because Mordecai's niece that was orphaned that he raised was picked to be one of the, queen, one of the queens for the king because of her beauty. And so at this point, Mordecai had an inside route to the king. And so that's where he's at. He shows up at the gate, and, and Esther sends one of her assistants to him, and then they start having this dialogue through the assistant, you know, and that assistant would run, talk to Mordecai, run back and talk to Esther, then go back and forth. And so, but it's important because you see what's happening to Mordecai. Mordecai is a broke man. Mordecai shows up, he strips off his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, he puts ashes on, he goes there, and it says that he was wailing, not crying, wailing, wailing loudly and bitterly. This was important. This was his life. This was his family's life. This was his friend's life. This was his neighbor's life. They was all about to be wiped out. And so this is where he shows up. So turn, and we're going to start back in verse 12. And so they've been having this conversation back and forth because what he's asking Esther to do is, Esther, you need to go to the king. Esther, you need to show up Walk in there and talk to the king. But what we need to know that's important while we get to this point 
is because nobody just went up and saw the king. Nobody just called like, I, I have an open door. Anybody can show up and see me here at my office. You know, I don't hide from anybody. The door is always open. And so you can see me, but the king, nobody showed up to see the king unless he sent for him. And if you approached the king and wasn't invited, that's the one law they had about the king was he could immediately, he could take you out. And so when Mordecai's talking to Esther, Esther, he's asking Esther to put your life on the line. He's saying, Esther, I need you to show up. I need you to go see the king. I need you to beg the king and get him to change his mind about this. But just know, you might die for this. There's a good chance he's going to kill you before you even get a chance to talk. And so that's where we're at in verse 12. It said, when Esther's words were reported to, to Mordecai, he went back, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are the king in the king's house, you alone will, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Underline that. Underline for such a time as this. And then Esther sent his reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who were in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Underline that. If I perish, I perish, because that's important. But what I want to, what I want to point out first is what did she do first? Once she made that decision and says, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the king, and I'm going to fight for my world. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my friends, and I'm going to fight for my neighbors. And so what does she do? She starts it with prayer. And I think that ought to be the baseline of everything we do at Live Oak Baptist Church. We ought to start it with prayer. We ought to start it with fasting. And we ought to be begging God as a group. You know, right now on Sunday mornings, and I'm just going to throw this out there, there's two groups that meet, one at about 8 o'clock or about 8.30 and one at 10.30. And they meet every Sunday, and it's just a few. But it ought to be a room full that is fighting for our church, praying for our finances, and praying for our services every Sunday. And so I'm personally inviting you to be part of these, these groups over in A building at 8.30 and at 10.30. It's just a brief. Brother Jay's already back in here. And so, and they pray for our finances every Sunday. You ought to be praying for our church right now. We're in critical, when I tell you critical stages of making decisions. Because there's things going on here that's going to affect generations, and we are having to make the right decisions. You know, when we've started announcing some of these things, there's going to be in the next few weeks where I'm going to send an all call out and say, hey, I need you to come tear a door out of a wall. I need you to come move some walls because we need to open up an area to where we'll make it more inviting for our children's ministry because June we're making some major changes, and we're going to start talking about all that. But none of these changes are coming lightly. Because me and your staff is praying daily about what we need to do to reach our community. Because we want to fight for our world as we do this. And so right now, I'm making an all call. We need to start praying. If you're not praying for your church, you need to start praying today. I had a, a couple of men approach me this morning and said, Is it all right if we start doing a prayer breakfast once a month? And that's Jamie. That's something we'll talk to you about later. But they want to meet on a Saturday morning and start praying for our church. And what, I looked and I said, I'm not going to stop prayer. You know, we'll pray every Saturday morning and eat breakfast. 
because that's where everything needs to start is with prayer. And so that's where Esther's at. Esther made that all call, and she said, Mordecai, go back. Y'all start fasting. You start praying, and then we're going to be prayed up whenever I walk in. Because what do we know in Exodus 14, 14, what's he say? He says, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. And so right here, they're begging God, God, we fight for us. We're praying. We're fasting. We want to make sure this is done right. And then when she answers and she goes on, I love this statement. If I perish, I perish. Too many times we put stipulations on God's work. Too many times we'll say, you know something, God? God, I'll do this as long as it don't cost me. And I'm not talking about financially all the time. I'm talking about with, 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 your, with your work schedule, with your home schedule, with your Netflix schedule. Sometimes it's going to cost you. And she's saying right here, if I perish, I perish. You know, years ago, I was sharing in an 8 o'clock service, and, and it was a, it's, it's a real, it's a bittersweet memory for me because it was at a point in life where I needed to hear from God in a big way. And so I, about on June 2011, I got a, or a couple of months before that, I got a phone call from um, Terry Booth. And he said, Johnny, he said, we don't have a student pastor. He said, what's the chance of you helping go on this mission trip to Puerto Rico and helping lead this team? He said, we have about 40 college students. He said, you can bring some of yours, and we'll go down, and go down there with them. Well, I'm, I'm all up for a road trip or a plane trip. I'm in. You know, hey, go to Puerto Rico, I'm in. You know, I didn't have to change my, my, my data plan on my phone to go there. And so we go, and I forget, it was seven, eight students from here that went. And um, we got down there, and we kind of got spoiled the first day. And I won't lie to anybody, we stayed in the hotel, I ate the best pork chop I've ever ate in my life. I'm telling you right now, I'm getting chills thinking about how good that pork chop was. <laughs> we went in an authentic Puerto Rican restaurant. That pork chop was about that thick, and it was probably about that big, and that is not an exaggeration. I got a picture on my phone. And the outside fat on that thing was like a crackling. They deep fried it for about two minutes. Anybody that's a pork fan knows what I'm talking about. They deep fried it, and then they grilled But anyway, it's not about the pork chop. That pork chop was good. <laughs> You know, I'm getting hungry. I tell you, that pork chop was so good. When I got back to my room that night, I took five aspirin to make sure I didn't have a heart attack. But, but anyway, so we ate that. We ate that night. We slept in that air conditioner. And the next morning, we pulled up to the facility we was going to be staying at for a week. And I can tell you, I'd sleep anywhere. I'd sleep in the middle of this carpet floor. I'd sleep out in that parking lot. Just ask my family. All I got to do is make a downward motion of my recliner, and I'm half asleep. And when we walked in our rooms where we was going to be bunking, they were three bunks high, and it was about 35 or 36 of us to a room. There was no air condition. There was very little, very, very little ventilation and only a couple of little oscillating fans that did nothing. I mean, ask Seth and Angela and Paige. They was on that trip. Man, I walked in and said, Phew. I looked at Seth. I said, it's a lot of beef in this room to keep cool at night. And so, you know, we was there. And I want, it was miserable conditions. But I knew I was there to keep the spirits of the group lifted and not get down on the trip. Now, once I got home, it was a different story. You know, when them hurricanes come through there last year, the year before, half of them contacted, said, hey, we're going back to Puerto Rico? 
You know, that's how much it meant to them. Now, we wouldn't stay at the same place. I'm just being honest. I've never ate so many gnats in my life. When you would eat, you was eating gnats. So anyway, why am I telling you this story? Because that statement when it says, for such a time as this, I was literally within a month of becoming full-time here at Live Oak Baptist Church. I'd already turned in my notice, had everything worked out, went on that trip, um, and then I was going to come back two weeks later to start full-time here. And I was standing when I was down there. We was getting ready, and we was building houses. And so we got down there, and some people volunteered. You never volunteer for a job you're not qualified for. We had some people volunteered to be like the site manager to oversee these houses being built, and they had no clue how to drive a nail, much less how to read a blueprint and tell them how to build a house. So I took pictures of the blueprints, and I sent them to my dad, and I said, Dad, I said, if they call you, just help them build this house. And so we built probably eight houses on the phone. And so the house that I picked was probably only half, it was, about, it was block walls. It was around about half, but it wasn't nothing straight or level. It was just like this, and that's not an exaggeration. So we had to come up and then have the roof level, you know. And so I picked that one for myself and my team. And on our team, probably half to two-thirds of them had never driven a nail before. And so um, I went to Devin Albin, and you can ask Randy and Kim. Kim said he'll never go, but you can ask him. And Devin went with me, and I bet if I called Devin today, he'd go with me again. I said, Devin, come on this trip. Well, Devin got down there, and I had him on my team. I said, Devin, your first job is to teach him how to drive a nail. Well, I figured this out. Teach him how to drive a nail, teach him how to tow nail, because we had no nail guns. It was hammers. And, um, and so he was doing that. Well, I, was, I had always struggled with my ministry calling, because I always thought to myself, God, did you want me to do this at 18 years old, and I missed your calling? God, did you want me to do this at 25, and I was just selfish and didn't and wouldn't surrender and I was standing on a ladder in Puerto Rico working on that house and it was just like this God said for such a time as this because if I hadn't had 20 years of structural design work and 20 years of engineering I never could have built that house and helped the other ones on the phone build their houses God said you surrendered when I called you to surrender I prepared you for 20 years for the day to be on this ladder now it's time to go. And so this morning, that's what I want you to hear for such a time as this, because I think some of us are struggling. Why do I have the job I have, right? Why do I have the family I have if we get real honest? God, why am I in school? God, why is this person sitting beside me? God, this isn't Johnny, this is y'all. I hate my job. I love my job. I hate my job. For such a time as this, God has you working with your people around you. For such a time as this, God has you influencing your neighbors around you. For such a time as this, God has you walking in your shadow falling where you're going to be talking to people in Walmart and Oak Point and all these other stores around here. For such a time as this is why you was created. Why are you in Live Oak Baptist Church today? I'm going to give you a small alert to help us grow this church. That's why you're here, because you have resources that we don't have. You have abilities that I don't have. And God has called you here today 
to help us be that church that he's called us to be. And where do we need to start? In a prayer breakfast with Big Randy and Bill Barber on Saturday mornings. Where do we need to start? In that room in A building on our knees praying for our church services and our finances. Where do we need to start? We need to start up here praying. And we need to start where we've underlined that scripture where God calls us out and he says, you will be my witness. You will be my witness. You will be my witness today sitting in these seats. There's somebody sitting next to you that needs to feel the touch of God from you. There's going to be people that you need to be your witness with in your job place tomorrow morning. There's people that you need to be your, his witness for in your school tomorrow. It might be your grandkids or your great-grandkids that you have custody of. It might be your nieces and nephews that come into your house to have a safe place because they live in a battle zone. You will be my witness. You will be my witness. For such a time as this are you in a place that you're in. But what do we have to do? We have to know who God is. In Hosea 4, 6, it says, My people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. I found that scripture the other day, and as I was just praying, and it says, my people are being destroyed from the lack of knowledge. Why is small groups so important at Live Oak Baptist Church? So we can give you the knowledge that you need to fight the fight you need to fight every day. Small groups are important. Sunday school is important. Grow groups are important. Anytime you can get a group together. I meet with a, coach of, a group of coaches every Friday morning. We sharpen ourselves every Friday morning. Lisa, where is she at? She works with a group of school teachers in her school, and they do Bible study together. She's being a witness in her school. Where are we at? Are we living for such a time as this? Because when you read this, God's word is so clear. But we miss it because we say something. You know, God, one day when I retire, I'm all in. How's that working up for you, John and Brother Howard, that retirement, Hank? Hey? You know, my dad will tell you he's the busiest he's ever been in his life. He don't know how he worked. We say, well, you know something, God, I'll do it. Let me get my family grown. How many of our families grown? How's that working for us? You know, God, let me finish school. God, let me get that promotion. God, let me just say, yes, God. Why don't we start there? Yes, God. Yes, let me serve you. God, let me not give you excuses. God, let me chase after you every day. For such a time as this, you are where you're at in your life to be his witness. It might not make sense. And you might be miserable in your heart. But what if you went into it with that attitude? God, you have me here today for a reason. God, you have me here today for a reason. Let me be your witness. Let me serve you. Let me let your light shine through me. You know, these songs, as we were singing them, you know, and, and was thinking about, you know, just the holiness of God. Wow. I know on a day-to-day -day basis, once I grasp who my God is, I'm ready to fight the world. You know, I know some might get tired of hearing me talk about them dogs, but last night me and Frank Mons got to go stand in Montpelier, Louisiana in an open field behind a Dollar General store and tell people about Jesus. They come to see a duck dog, but they heard from my God. 
because I'm willing to say, yes, God. Yes, God, I'm willing to give up my Saturday evening sitting in my house in my recliner when I could be resting. But I'm doing what I love to do. And that's share God, whether it's standing here this morning or it's standing in Montpelier or whether it's going to be a meeting I'm going to be in this week for such a time as this. That's why I'm created. So how do we fight for our world? We surrender to God. There's some of us this morning, if we get real honest, we need to be like little Alex Turner. And we need to go stand in that water because there's some of us that hadn't been obedient to that. There's some of us that need to say, all right, God, I'm going to let you be God. God, I'm going to accept you and ask him to become the Lord of our life. And then there's some of us that we've prayed that prayer and we've asked God to become the Lord of our life, but we've never been obedient with baptism. There's some sitting here this morning say, you know something, I need to make Live Oak my home. I want to be part of a church that's not scared to kick the rock down the hill to reach the world for God. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes for such a time as this. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're here this morning. I will be a witness for such a time as this. And if I perish, if I perish, I've won because I've beat you home. But you know what? Let me read some numbers to you. Let me find them. It's one of these 15 pages of notes I got. Never thought about it like this. If you're 70 years old, is there any 70-year-olds in here today? 70 years old, close. That means that God's been waking you up for the last 25,567 days. It's a lot of days. I hope I make 70. If you're 60 years old, any 60-year-old? If you're 60 years old, God's been waking you up for 21,915 days. If you're 40 years old, God's been waking you up for 14,610 days. If you're 20 years old, God's been waking you up for 7,305 days. And why do I, I'm just putting it into perspective. God woke me up this morning. And he let me take my breath because he had a plan for me today. God woke you up this morning because he had a plan for you this morning. And it was to hear his word, to be able to say for such a time as this, I'm where I'm at and I will be his witness. And if I perish, I perish because it's all for him anyway and not for me.